1 Corinthians chapter number 16. First Corinthians chapter 16, and today, of course, is Father's Day, and uh, sometimes when you come across some, uh, when you have some uh, holidays and you want to maybe stick with the theme of the holiday, sometimes it's a little bit more difficult to stay with that theme from the Bible. You got to maybe look a little harder, but this is not one where you have to look hard. Um, but we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 16, just at one verse. But I'll begin by saying this, that the verse we're going to, we're going to look at is verse number 13. And it deals with, it deals, you know, primarily with manhood. Manhood. And it is just a fact, an observable fact of our society that being a man and what we might call the traditional role and character of, uh, of, of what an ideal man is and should be is in our country, and I can't speak for the rest of the world, but definitely in our country, is absolutely being assaulted. It is being assaulted. And what has been considered to be traditional manhood um, is being vilified and mischaracterized, and it is being uh, it is it is being in every way attacked. And essentially, the goal is to just remove distinctions between the sexes altogether. Look, that's the goal. That's the goal to take something that God has established. And again, this is not a political question. Far from it. It is. It is. This is something that God has established as a binary fact of of nature and a moral fact, a spiritual fact. And people are taking it and wanting it to be a spectrum, a gradient, that there's anything in between. And this is just not... The the net result of that, though, is that those, those firm distinctions between men and women... Are, are being blurred. And the way they're being blurred is two ways. By the, the erosion of the, of the, of the proper and, and right biblical role of women to make them into something they're not, at the same time as eroding and destroying the proper role of men. And the harm... You know, you talk about women's rights and things like that. Look, the harm is on the women when this happens. They, that's the sad part about this, this thing we're seeing in society. Is that this movement, this is a moral question. This is a matter, this is not about who you vote for. This is about what God says in His established order in the Scripture and in His nature, His, His creation. And the irony is, is that as this, this is destroyed, the women are the ones who are bearing the brunt of it. Now, as a man, as a husband, as a father, that should bother us. That the women, the daughters, the wives, the granddaughters are the ones that are bearing the brunt of this whacked out, ungodly ideology. 
they're the ones, you know, you see that you see it in the news with the sports and how that all of a sudden men are competing, biological men are compete, competing with biological women and just wiping the floor with them. You see things like that. Even at, you know, it's been many years ago that the first woman was allowed to go to the Citadel. That was, that was harmful to that lady. But see, everybody's, all, all, all this, all this, the talk is about, is about, uh, is about equality and stuff like that. And the harm comes upon the women. But I want to speak to, today to the men. And I want, to, I want us to put aside the ideology that's in the news. I mean, I don't, listen, I don't care if you listen to Fox News. You're getting it full at Fox News to full measure just like you are anywhere else. Do not be under any delusions. It is pumped in, in measure, even on what are, quote, conservative stations. But for us as Christians, we don't care about, we shouldn't care. I mean, all of us care to some degree about the political side and the moral side and all that. But really, ultimately, it comes down to what God says. That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. And God does say something about this. Listen to this one verse in chapter 16 of uh, 1 Corinthians, verse 13. There are four statements. Watch ye. Stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, we pray uh, and thank you for our church. Thank you for what you're doing in each and every person's life here. Thank you for those that are tuning in because they can't be with us. Thank you for them. Thank you for the grace of God in our lives, Lord, please give us a sound mind from your word. Lord, give us the right spirit with a sound mind that we can respond to these things around us with clarity and with compassion, but not equivocating on what uh, your word says. But Lord, more than that, I pray that you would change us, the husbands and the fathers and the men among us to be what we should be according to what your word says. Lord, please give us understanding. Please meet with us. Please, Holy Spirit, teach us. This is the ministry that you've given, that you, that you have taken part of in our lives to, to teach us of the truth. And I pray that you would, you would teach us here this morning. Lord, please help me to know what to say to your people and help them to know how to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. These four statements, watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men, be strong. Of course, this, I'll say from the outset, when we look at the context, 1 Corinthians is an epistle that Paul wrote by the Spirit of God's leading him to a church. A church is composed of men and women. So this, even the statement, quit you like men, can be applied to women because it's applied to the church. In other words, there's a certain, there's, there are certain characteristics of, of that manhood, and I'll just say from the outset, the fact that this verse says, quit you like men, it simply means be a man. Play yourself like a man. That's what it means. You know what that implies? That strongly tells us that God's established role for a man is not evil. God's established role. Now, we know there are many perversions of that role. There are many perversions of that role. 
And I'll say it from the outset, one of the things, some of the perversions that come into play is how much liquor someone can drink or how violent and aggressive someone can be and how they beat up on their wives and how they don't listen to anyone that's under their authority. And they mistreat and, uh, and amplify how, how much stronger they are than those below them. And those kinds of things are not biblical qualities. What, the, what they are is caricatures. It's a false man. It's not a biblical man. But there is a biblical man. And God says in this verse, be a man. Play the part of a real man. Now, So I want to spend some time, most of our time, talking to the men in our congregation. Because there is absolutely a torrent of, of um, philosophy, doctrine. You say doctrine, it's not religious. It's a doctrine that is absolutely bombarding us, bombarding men and women. It's bombarding us, trying to pervert our understanding of what a man is and vilify it. How many of you have heard, ever heard the term toxic masculinity? You see... I know these questions, when we, we talk about these different questions, a lot of times these overlap with political questions. And it used to be that political questions to, to a large degree were political and moral questions, spiritual questions were spiritual. But now these worldviews are colliding and they're overlapping. They're overlapping. But again, this is not for us. This is not a political question. This is a spiritual question. This is a matter of the truth and righteousness. And God does have a standard for a man. And he says, quit you like men, be a man. What a man should be, be that. That means what a man should be is and can be good and right and something to, to mimic and follow. So there are four statements here. And I want to look at them briefly. The first one is watch ye. Watch ye. This is simply in the Bible, the, the word watch. And we'll look at a couple of verses uh, in, in, to, to illustrate this, but the word watch doesn't necessarily mean you're looking at something, although that's part of it. The word watch, especially in the context of, of at night, means to stay awake. The idea is your eyes are open. And in this verse, God says, without much explanation, there's not much context to, uh, and sometimes in the scripture, you, the Lord just gives just one statement, very brief, and he doesn't give much context to inform maybe the direction he's going or what his intend, intended meaning is. You know what that means? That means you can kind of broaden it out to apply to a, a number of different things. It's kind of nonspecific, and this is what this is doing. Watch ye. You can contrast this with being drowsy, with being lazy, with being indolent, with, being, uh, with, with being, living without being alert to what is going on around you. Here's the thing. As a man, well, let's look at a couple of verses first. Look at the book of Luke, chapter 12, if you would. Luke, chapter 12. Verse number 39. Now, I know, this, I know this verse occurs within a parable. 
This is talking about the coming of the Lord. But look at the language. Verse 39 of Luke 12 says this, And this know, that if the good men of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. You see that? Thieves, thieves don't come in the daytime. Generally, they come at night. And if, if the thief and if, if the good man, that is the, the, the head of the house, knew what time he would come, what would he not do? He would not go to bed. He would stay awake. Why? So that he could be alert. He could be paying attention. He could be looking out the window. He could be, he could be aware and circumspect. That is, as I mentioned the other week, looking all around for danger. God tells us, God tells us as believers, but God tells us specifically as men that we should be awake. We should not be drowsy. We should not be lazy. We should, our eyes should be open. We should be clear-eyed. And that's, that's one of the main distinctions between men and women that is important. Women are primarily emotional. In fact, this is an interesting, an interesting fact. Uh, I heard a, uh, a, a, a someone was there was a video on social media that I came across, and it was a it was a a woman who had decided that that she was going to transition into a man. So she actually looked like a man. I'm not saying he, she. She looked like a man. She had a beard and everything, hormones, all that stuff. She looked like a man. If you didn't pay attention, you would have thought it was a man. Boo hooing her eyes out on this video. You know why? Because she was trying to live in a man's world. And you, you guys know, men are not generally emotional people. We are not. But she needed that, that emotional connection with her circle of friends, and they weren't providing it. You know why? Because they weren't women. And you know what? That's not, to say a woman is emotional is not a negative by any means. God made women this way. That's a good thing, but it is different than a man. A man just, you know, sometimes is just stone cold. Sometimes men wish they could be more emotional. And we can't. And it frustrates our wives because our wives want to want to hear us gush. And we don't gush because we're not that way as much. You know what? That's okay. But you know what? One part of being a man and not being so emotional is that we should have clear eyes to see what is happening. You know what, men? Just like this says, watch you. If someone is awake, you know, you think, about, think about your home. Think about your house. If you knew, just like the Lord says, if you knew that someone was going to break into your house, you would stay awake. And a man, might, he might stay awake. He might not even tell his family so he wouldn't worry them. But he's going to stay awake and he's going to keep his eyes open so he can pay attention. You know what that means? He's going to know the danger is present before anybody else because he is awake, watching. And the thing is, as a man, as a, as a husband, as a father, are your eyes open such that you see danger in your family? And I'm, now I'm not talking necessarily about physical danger, although that might, be, that might apply, but I'm talking about spiritual danger. You see it coming before other people that over whom you have, you have responsibility and care. Do you see it coming before they do? Are you awake enough to see it? Or are you indolent, half asleep? Because here's why watching is important. While you're awake, man, husband, father, 
they're asleep. Think about that. When they're unaware of what's happening, you should be, you and I should be aware of what's happening. And you know what? The reason they're asleep, safely sleeping and resting, is because they are trusting you to be awake. That's why they can sleep. A woman who, a woman who, who lives without, her, without a husband or without a man in her life, and I've observed this. My mom was a single mother. I, I know what this is like. All of this responsibility of her safety and the safety of her home falls upon her. She can't just go to sleep and sleep restfully knowing that her husband and the, the kid's father is going to be awake paying attention to what's going on. That peace is taken away, and she has to assume that responsibility, and that's not easy. But see, our families, I'm talking spiritually now. Number one, we should be aware of danger in our families before anybody else is. Why? Because our eyes are open and we're paying attention. We're watching. Number two, because we're paying attention, because we're watching, it allows our family to rest and have peace. They're trusting us. That's the role that we have as a husband and as a father. They take peace in our vigilance. They rest because we don't. That's why it's so, and I'm, I'm talking spiritually. How many times does the scripture say that we should wake up out of our sleep? All of us. And not be dull and sleepy and drowsy on God, that we should be awake, we should be energetic, we should be active. But how much more does that apply to a husband, to a father, who's supposed to be paying attention to the lives of your children, to see what they're doing, to see if there's some danger, to see where they're at spiritually. And I feel it just like everyone else. I want to just kind of, I want to take the easy road and just kind of put it on neutral. And I don't want to get up to when, when a thought comes to my mind. And maybe this is like, that, like this with you. When I'm in my room and I'm relaxing, the Lord, I'm talking, Almighty God will bring thoughts into my mind out of the clear blue that I need to get up and check on stuff. And I have no idea why. It happens to my wife too, though. And we'll get up and we'll go check on things. And we have found things I, the, the way they shouldn't be because we did that. But see, if I'm just like, well, you know, we'll do it later. And that goes with, listen, that goes with our devotions, our family devotions. If we just take a back seat and we just put it in neutral, we say, ah, well, we're just going to be drowsy and lazy on it. You know, the, results, the result is going to be harmful to our families. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6 says this, Therefore, let us not sleep as do others but let us watch and be sober. You know what that means? Serious. Take this thing seriously. You're a husband. Take it seriously. Know your duties and do it. Know how to protect your wife and your children from danger and harm. I'm talking about spiritual danger and harm. And when you see something and you identify some, some danger, you know what you ought to do? You ought to take that thing to God in prayer. And you ought to place yourself between that danger and your loved one. 1 Peter 4, 7, but the end of all things is at hand. Notice the, the, the repetition. But be, be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. 
You see, the watching and praying goes together. You, you're alert to something, and so you, 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 you go to battle with it. You see a problem, you take it to God. That's how you fight the battles. Sometimes you address things in your family because it needs to be addressed. But you see it before everybody else does. The second, the second phrase in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says this, Stand fast in the faith. To stand fast simply means this, to remain firmly immovable. It doesn't, this is not necessarily referring to being upright like we think of standing up, but it refers to standing as opposed to walking or moving. To stand fast means you're not sliding and you're not moving in any direction. You're stable. You're you're not going to be changing or moving the location where you are right now. But this says stand fast in the faith. So this deals with spiritual matters. Let me ask you a question. Five years from now, husband, father, man, five years from now, or maybe even 10 years from now, Will you be in the same location of your faith as you are at this moment? Or will you have moved? This is what it's talking about. Not moving. This is what it means to stand fast. If in 10 years you're in a different place than you are right now, and I'm not talking about Christian growth. See, Christian growth is this way. I'm talking about lateral movement away from the truth. Because we could talk about, well, the doctrines of the faith, but that's, look, the choices that we make in life, the decisions we make about our morality, whether we're going to be drinking, whether we're going to be faithful to our wives, we're going to live uprightly and be honest and pay our bills and all these other, where we're going to be, what we're going to be looking at on our phone. All of those things are informed by our faith. And, and when, when our faith starts to, starts to weaken, so goes our conduct. You know, you think of the Lord. The Lord is described and compared to a rock. He's compared to an anchor. Those things are immovable. In Cambodia, I remember on the way to, from our city to Phnom Penh, there was this huge rock. It was in a place called Chiali, I believe. It was this huge rock. It's like the biggest rock I've ever seen. It was huge. It was several stories tall, probably, probably 40 40 feet tall, if I had to guess. You could climb on top of it. I've got pictures. How did that rock get there? I know one thing. It hasn't been moved there. You know why? Because it was firm and immovable. It stood fast. That's the way the Lord is. You look back at the doctrines and what God has said many, many years ago, eons ago. You know what you find? They're the same as they are now. He hasn't moved Everything in our society is moving. I mentioned that, some of that in Sunday school. Everything is shifting. Everything is shifting. You think of the, trend, the trendy terms like fluidity. Something you hear a lot, right? Now there's gender fluidity. That means it's moving. It's the very opposite of, being, of sta- standing fast. It's moving. It's changing. But you know what? There are certain things in this world that are absolutely fixed and certain and cannot and will not change. You know, if that's true, then so should we. We should be, we should be fixed. And the most important of those things that do not change is faith. Our faith, that is 
what God says and our belief in it. Proverbs 24, 21, listen to this. My son, fear thou the Lord and the king and meddle not with them that are given to change. You know, for someone to change constantly, again, not this kind of growth, but this kind of movement. Well, I used to follow the Lord. I used to believe that. These days, everybody's changing. I mentioned, again, I mentioned in Sunday school how, how many figures, political and non-political figures, have absolutely undone everything that they said was true 10, 15, 20 years ago. It's totally different. Totally different. They have totally destroyed all the things that they said were true. Now it's a, we're, now it's a progressive kind of growth, they describe it. No, it's not. What it shows is you were not fixed to begin with. Your ship was not anchored, and that's why you moved. Husbands and fathers, men do not need to be that. We must be steady and constant. We must be stable and consistent. Because when we are constantly changing and we're, we're under this fluidity, that means our ideas and our beliefs are not fixed, not firmly established. That means they're fluid. That means that we have not firmly settled the most important questions that there are to answer. Because when you don't settle these questions about what is the truth, what do I believe, where am I going to stand, when you don't settle these questions and that's up for debate, you know what happens? Eventually you move. The flood that is around us in this world is way too strong. You have no chance. I have no chance unless these things are fixed in the Lord. Stand fast in the faith. Again, where will you be in five years or ten years in your faith? Will you totally have destroyed the things you once believed? Denied the things you said were true? Let me explain something to you. Especially a man, a husband and a father. I have seen so many families and individuals, wives and children, obliterated spiritually. You know why? Because they thought their husband, they thought their father was stable and fixed. And up, he up and does something completely off the wall. And that whole security system is just totally turned into disarray. Because they thought daddy was one thing and daddy completely overturned it and they, it sends people into a tailspin. I knew of a pastor in Florida who had seemed to have a good family. I mean, you look at from the outside everything, you check all the boxes. We knew his family. We went to their church when they were, when, when they were in Florida when we were raising support. Dad up and left and met up with his, with his college girlfriend or whatever just deserted the family. I'm telling you, those kids are just absolutely in a total tailspin. You know why? Because the man in their life that was supposed to have these things settled and have his heart fixed and standing fast in the faith abandoned it. And it destroyed his kids. I'm not making this up. It was his fault. 
Now, they're responsible for their choices, I'll, I'll admit, but he laid the largest and most enormous stumbling block before his kids. God help us. You know what? God help the men in this building to stand fast. If these questions, these most important questions about the truth and your faith are not established and settled, you need to settle them now. You need to settle them in a way that's absolutely certain. Because if you go back on what you thought was true and you abandon those things, your wives, your wife, and your children will be destroyed in the wake of that. They, that's just a, it's just a reality. It's a family dynamic. Your wife and your children are looking to you for that stability. Second Thessalonians 2.15 says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. I have seen this, I have seen this so many times. Well, I used to believe that. Well, I used to do that. I used to have that standard. You know? And that's what that's it's the ultimate, is it not the ultimate trump card? You know, I don't drink alcohol. Well, I used to not drink alcohol. You know, it's like it's like you've You've grown into drinking alcohol or something. You've realized how, you know, that kind of thing. They've moved. They've moved. The third statement says this in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Quit you like men. As I said before, this implies that there is or should be a natural understanding of what manhood is an inherent knowledge of the characteristics of a man. And what this is, like it or not, I don't care what society says, like it or not, this is absolutely an affirmation of a traditional, or rather more importantly, a biblical view of manhood. Now, if you would, turn to 1 Samuel. I want to look at a couple of places in, in Samuel. The first was in 1 Samuel chapter 4. This is interesting because this is the enemies of God talking. God says, be a man. Well, that raises the question. What does it mean to be a man? What characteristics does God glorify and exalt and exemplify as a man that we should emulate? That's an important question. If, you're gonna, if, I, if I say, hey, Ben, you need to be a man, the question might be asked, especially in our day, well, what does that mean? Well, God has some answers. Chapter 4. This is when the Philistines captured the ark. Look at verse seven, no, verse six, rather. And when the Philistines heard, that the, heard the, shout of, the noise of the shout, they said, what meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was coming to the camp. And the Philistines were, what? Afraid, fear. For they said, God is coming to the camp. And they said, woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. So they, they heard news now, the truth is, Israel was outside the will of God at this point. They're about to get whipped. 
then having the rabbit's foot of the ark of God is, makes no difference if you're not right with God. But that's beside the point. Point is, the Philistines are afraid. They're afraid. But look what they say in the next verse. Verse 9. Be strong and quit yourselves like men. To quit, all that means is behave. That's all it means. Quit yourselves like men. Be men, O, o ye Philistines, that ye be not servants unto the Hebrews, as they have been unto you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. Verse 10. And the Philistines fought and Israel was smitten. You know what, you know what I see here? They, the Philistines, who were the enemies of God, they fought even though they were afraid. They were terrified. Yet they still fought. They did not run in spite of fear. What this shows is this is an, an expression of courage that the Philistines had in the face of fear. So fear, again, you've heard this before and it's true. Fear is not the absence of, uh, courage is not the absence of fear. It is continuing to do the right thing even with fear present. They did not act on the fear that was present. They fought despite of the fear. Look at uh, 2 Samuel chapter 10, since you're already here. <clears throat> this is Israel now. Israel's in a battle where they've been, uh, their enemies have actually hired other armies, mercenaries, to fight with them. They have an army in front of them, an army behind them. They are surrounded. Verse 12 says this, Be of good courage and let us play the men for our people and for the cities of our God. And the Lord do that which seemeth him good. Notice that. Let us play the men. That's the same thing. Notice the reason. For our people. What does it mean to be a man? Number one, courage. Number two, put yourself between the ones you love over whom you have responsibility and, and, and those over whom, or for whom you care, put yourself between the danger and them. That's why they're fighting. They're fighting because they're fighting for their people. You, one of the reasons you, man, husband, father, one of the reasons you're supposed to live for God is because you're fighting that battle. Did not Paul say, I have fought a good fight, right? It's a battle fight. You're doing it not just for yourself, but you're also doing it for the people for whom you care. It's not just about you. You know, people, I, I, I actually printed this out. I'm not going to read it. This is actually a description from ChatGPT, which is essentially the internet, about what, what is toxic masculinity and what is the proper masculinity. It's, it's warped. Let me tell you something, though. One thing that criti this criticized in this kind of stuff, toxic masculinity, is this idea that men are the breadwinners of the family. Let me explain something to you. Part of being a breadwinner is standing between the needs of the family and the family. You, you, you should go to work every day to earn money because you care for them. It's not a matter of dominating the money. It's a matter of you standing between the need and the family. That's what it's about. It's about being a man. It's about taking your place.
You know what? One other thing, and it's in both of these examples, is the idea of fighting. Traditionally, it was always the men. Even to this day, the men are the ones who fight, generally speaking. Are you going to fight for your family, for their righteousness, for their well-being spiritually? Are you going to fight for them in prayer when you see problems, when you see failures, dangers? And I hasten to the end. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, the last phrase is, Be strong. Look at, look at Joshua chapter 1. We'll finish with this. The strength I'm referring to here, and definitely the Scripture is referring to, has nothing to do with the amount someone can bench press or squat or curl. The strength being mentioned here is spiritual strength. You know, I've seen men that could twist me into a pretzel who are pathetic spiritually. They exist. Spiritual weaklings. Moral cowards. Oh, they could, they could bench 350 pounds. They could squat 800. But they're cowards. They have no, none, no spiritual strength at all. Lord says, be strong. He's not talking about how much you can bench. He's talking about spiritually. Ephesians 6, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's your relationship with God. Joshua 1, verse 1 says this. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give them, even, the, the, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. Now I can imagine if I were Joshua, I would need some strength and courage to go fight this war. This is a whole war over a whole piece of land. But, but look, this is not the only courage he needed. Follow along. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not be able to stand before, you, before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage. Now that makes sense, right? You're, you're at the precipice of a war. You need courage. For unto this people... Shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them? Now look at verse 7. It's a completely different strength. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Verse 9, have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. So Joshua, he needed strength and courage.
to go fight this war, obviously, for obvious reasons. But you know what? He also, the verse says, he also needed strength to obey and observe the Word of God. You know, sometimes, often, we need courage from God to obey Him. When the torrent of this world, the philosophies of this world, when the pressure from our job, people want us to do things dishonestly. When there's pressures, when there's temptations, when we must do things that go against the grain and offend people in order to obey the Lord, you know what we need? We need courage to do that. You can see men that, that have, have, they have uh, arms that are as big as my thighs, which that's not saying much, but you could have men like that who are afraid that somebody's going to say something bad about them if they don't go out drinking with them. That's having strength of body and weakness in the spirit. We need courage from God to obey Him. We need to be willing to have a backbone and stand for righteousness and truth as a believer, as a child of God, in, in, in the face of opposition with no regard for what other people think about it, with no regard for how it might harm us, we need courage to follow through, to do what God wants us to do. So I want to ask you, this, look, this is, what, this is what the Lord expects of us, men, husbands, fathers. This is it. He says to be sober. Take this matter seriously. Your relationship to God is going to directly affect your wife and kids. Do the hard things. Set the example. Take up that mantle. Be serious about it. This matters. God has put you, God has put me in a role. He expects us to fulfill our obligation. He expects us to set the example. He expects us to do the hard thing. He expects us to stay awake when they're asleep. He expects us to, to do right even when they might not. This is what the Lord expects. How are you doing with that? Are you taking the lead? I mean, quit you like men. One of the purposes God, God made a man is to, be, is to be a leader. Every one of us will lead somebody at some point. But to be a leader is not to be able to tell other people what to do. To be a leader is to set an example, to do first what they should do. That's what it means. Are you doing that for your family, for your wife, for your kids? Are you showing them the care and compassion and setting the example and being willing to put yourself completely out for their benefit? Sacrificing yourself for them? That's biblical manhood. Let's pray.